I have one one quick story about Basham uh, before we move on. But uh, there's a guy that used to always cheat when he's rolling up his characters, you know, come in uh, with like a, it's like, oh, we've got an 18 double zero strength. And uh, <laughs> I rolled this guy up at home. Okay. Comes in with his 18 double lot strength and he wants to go buy a magical sword. And Basham's like, all right, you know, you look around, you find a shop. The guy's got a uh, magical long sword for sale. And he's like, I'll, I'll arm wrestle you for it. So it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and, they, and, they, and they roll and the shopkeeper beats him like arm wrestles and beats him and it's like oh what the fuck it's like here we go well I, it's like double or nothing man we'll we'll arm wrestle again and but i'll use my other arm so they they roll and the shopkeeper beats him again and he's like jc's like what the fuck it's like oh yeah uh and now your your strength's uh 17 it's like what it's like yeah he was wearing he was wearing a ring and drain your strength on both hands <laughs> you wear one ring on each hand, so. <laughs> yeah. That's like the, but, but like, I think that's one of my favorite things about D and D. Not not necessarily when it's happening. Obviously, like it's kind of a it's kind of a motherfucker. Whenever in the middle of your game, you got to deal with like, all right, this guy this guy showed up to my table with like some pretty suspect stats. I'm pretty sure I told everybody to use standard array, and he's got two 18s. I like, like that. I like that. Like answer bullshit with bullshit approach. That oh, I came out here with this character. It's like your character's bullshit. Well, here's a, here's here's my bullshit way of dealing with him. I'm gonna invent rings of drain your strength, and it's like now you got a 17. Don't cheat anymore. <laughs> but it's I mean it's as simple as that. Like, dude. Welcome to another episode of the Top O The Table podcast, podcast about board games, role-playing games, tabletop games, everything in between, drinking beer, having a good time. Top of the table to you, Caleb. Top of the table to you, Travis. And of course, those were the lovely, lovely tones, uh, dulcet tones of the happy whistling ukulele, which I may or may not be legally obligated to mention every time. I'm not sure how that works. Probably not. Hopefully not. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, luckily, um, I mean, I could say with certainty that we're, we're definitely not making any any money on their music at the right. very least. <laughs> um, it was a, like a free, like a public domain sort of, you know, royalty free use this for and it, it did look like it was also something you could use commercially. Okay. But I don't cool. know if that if that changes the attribution or probably look into that. I don't know. We'll probably we'll get big. We'll be like uh, Joe Rogan yeah. big, and and then a happy whistling ukulele guy is going to come after us for everything that we're worth. Us being Joe Rogan big would be so strange too, because like my mind goes to having like the same tier of guests. But we'll have Joe Rogan on our podcast talking about so board games. I mean, he had and then, like Bernie Sanders that, on. Like, we <laughs> imagine asking Bernie Sanders how he feels about Ticket to Ride. Like, <laughs> yeah. He would think that it was. Uh, I remember when they were putting those railroads in. <laughs> 
It's like, how, how, are, you, how are you paying those workers? They didn't even make it a fair wage. <laughs> and when the, that, that's when the happy ukulele guy is going to come after us. He's going to be like, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll lose everything. That's that's my damn whistle, Your <laughs> Honor. That's my happy ukulele. Or he'll have the <laughs> ukulele in the courtroom as Exhibit A. And it'll be the happiest looking ukulele, too. Like, he, we wouldn't out. even be able to argue with it. I'd be like, yeah, that's the one who did it. I have a smiley face sticker on it. Yeah, I'd be like, that's the, that's the one. It's just don't worry, be happy on the back. <laughs> <laughs> now to do the jump cut. We, we often talk about, well, I mentioned, I allude to the fact that we're drinking beer, but I never really talk about the beer. But I just wanted you to know that since this is our second part of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, I actually bought a magic hat, not quite pale ale, magic hat number nine for this. Because see, it's a, uh, it's a wizard, Tasha. So I bought magic hat beer. We're trying the Blue Moon Mango Wheat. Blue Moon Mango Wheat and and Magic Hat. I don't really care for um, the regular Blue Moon. Um, I, I, I like it. I, I mostly I, I'm into like shandies more generally, and Blue Moon is it's it's like the you know it's like the the PBR of of shandies or whatever. Like it's okay. Not much of a wheat beer guy myself. Yeah. It's it's certainly not for everybody. It's a little. This tastes so light, but it feels so heavy. What is happening here? Also, just realizing in the audio medium that I literally did go buy some Magic Hat, but that, I didn't have to. I could have just said that I was drinking Magic Hat. That's true. Yeah, you could have been drinking. You could have been drinking Coors Banquet. I could have been drinking Coors Banquet beer, and nobody would have been the wiser. <laughs> I'll have to post a picture on Instagram now. There. Took a picture of the the magic hat number nine to let you know that I'm not just using the the magic of, of radio. This is our second uh, second stab at covering Tasha's cauldron of everything. We actually got to the artificer the uh, first time around. We went through the you know being able to put your bonuses plus two bonus wherever you want. You know, if you're a dwarf, you can put your plus two bonus instead of constitution. You can be a dexterous dwarf or, you know, a strong right. halfling or whatever, you know, you put those there. We talked about how we feel about that and sort of splat books in general. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you should go back and listen to that. That's going to be Tasha's cauldron of uncontrollable, hideous podcasting part one. We, we, we may or may not just cut this, but is there, is there any fourth wall break of like <laughs> why, why this was split into a two-parter and how much content was lost as a result of our, like why we're, <laughs> why we're recording these a little earlier? Well, I mean, I alluded to the fact uh, in, in our Facebook group. That, that we were working uh, on our, our beer to podcast ratio. Yeah, beer right? to podcast ratio. Yeah, we've, so we've actually already kind of ran through some of these and, a lot of it was very, very rambling. I mean, it was good. It wasn't necessarily bad stuff, but it felt like Artificer was the best spot to cut and start over. Yeah. We got to a point where it started we to were... It started to sound like following a drunk guy instead of like listening in on a buzzed conversation. 
it was it was to a point where I think the stuff before we quit was okay, but we still had. You looked at the book objectively, and we were like, "Oh shit, we still have. I still have a lot further. There's a lot more to do, and we can't do the rest of it tonight. We absolutely have to." Yeah. So we're gonna go back at it again, and so we talked about the race features. We talked about the artificer class. That's already in. That's in episode one. So if you want to hear about that, go back and listen to that. We're up to each individual class. This book does a lot. For each class, it goes through and gives at least two new subclasses. It also gives optional class features. Yeah, so that was something that I don't think we brought that up even last time when we started this and then doing our cold restart. We really didn't talk about the optional class features. Uh, but it's, yeah, you gain class features in the player handbook. These are additional features that you can gain. I think if you're stacking these on top of the other ones, you almost have to do it for everyone. You know, right. it's kind of like a all or nothing. Like you can't, you can't have one guy at the table who bought Tasha's and at seventh level, his barbarian's getting instinctive pounce and the barbarian across the table isn't. No. And like, like I said, in like the, in the first episode, um, with a book like this, like one of the big benefits to these, um, wizards releases is that they're usually a fair, you've got a fairly baseline of quality. Um, and so, like, a lot of the time, that's kind of what helps when it comes to, like, giving a pretty broad overview is that, like, I can pretty safely say that none of these are, go- like, there's going to be some that are for sure better than others. But I, I based on, like, the, the read-throughs that I've done of this, none of them stand out as, like, oh, that's bonkers. We're just going to go over a couple of things that we like and don't like about. We're not going to go through every class. Like, I'm going to skip right over Barbarian. Uh, Bard has couple bard colleges i didn't really look at them that much i'm not anti-bard but okay they seem fine the first thing that i like was in druid but we can jump ahead to ranger i really like the the there's at least the one druid one right that we that we both really like that uh was it the spores one that we both really like yeah Yeah. let's talk about that in a second here i just wanted to jump ahead and kind of refresh my memory on the the ranger here uh they give him fighting style options, blind fighting, druidic warrior. That gives him some extra spell casting ability. Throne weapon fighting, that's nice. Primal awareness. This is a third level ranger feature which replaces the primal awareness feature. So this is actually an upgrade. Right. And then the, the subclasses. The Fey Wanderer. Swarm Keeper was the one that we liked. Yeah, that's the one that we liked, right? The Swarm Keeper. This guy was pretty cool. It looked just in, from a role playing standpoint. I'm not sure mechanically. Yeah, it just I mean, it, it's it's got a very like an almost like a almost like a scorpion esque thing to it. Where I mean, just just the idea of like maybe locusts following a ranger around, or like there's all sorts of really cool like forest. Like I mean, if you wanted to go, you could go butterfly directions with it. Like there's so many cool. It could feel. It could be a little macabre. Even you could have like you know roaches or like beetles. You know, like you have this or guy. Locusts that's or, yeah, locusts or, or beetles or like yeah, big big bot flies. I like that it's got the little sidebar. It's your swarm. His spells are reflections of the character's bond with the nature spirits. And that's what it is. They're like they're animals, but they're also like nature spirits. So you can do pretty much whatever you want. 
I was going to say, doesn't it feel like a lot of the attempts to fix Ranger over time have been, like, pushing them more towards the, the druid side of, like, the, the class? Yeah, it's it's really trying to, to add that oneness with nature, but give it more, but still more of a fighter than a druid is, you know, like, more more hit points. It's really fine, as long as you give it a nice overarching theme like this. Like, I think that, like, if you show this to a ton of players, they can run with it in really, really cool directions. Oh, yeah, I love this. I think, a, I think like, a forest gnome, swarm keeper, ranger sounds my kind of batshit crazy. I really like yeah, the, idea, yeah. the idea of, like, some uh, gnome that's got, you know, beetles crawling all over him all the time. Or They also added uh, some nice, like, I like the... Uh... I like the the companions as well that they added for Rangers. Yeah, they do a little bit more for, they give them a little bit cooler. You get Beasts of the Land, Sea and Sky, they make it generic. Which is fair, because I mean, most people would want to choose their familiar or, you know, effectively their familiar. Yeah, it's like, hey, you can make it look like whatever you want, but it's going to have a, you know, plus two to dexterity plus two to wisdom or you know like what like here's 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 kind of like a right. And then if a player came to me and were like, look, I'm doing a bear might, might I like, could I lose my plus two index for a plus three instead of a plus two in con? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You're going to, you're uh, going to be a fucking bear instead of a, you know, a, a cat, which I, I think, you know, this makes a lot more sense for like, yeah, I think any, I think just about any DM could reasonably like workshop these beasts to make more sense for whatever the person chooses. And I don't know if any of this fixes a ranger. I haven't played any of these. I should say that. I mean, I've just read through Tasha's Cauldron. So core, so so first version core ranger is pretty underwhelming. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong. In most campaigns, like because most campaigns end before a certain point, it would never become a problem. So most people wouldn't even like raise the complaint. But the complaints kind of started when like people got around like level eight to ten, where like the the ante is kind of really upped, like mm-hmm. um, where it's you know you're you're going to run into shit that if you do this poorly, you're just going to die, like that kind of like once you hit that stage. That's where the ranger was just like, oh fuck, man! Like first of all, a lot of my a lot of their bonuses were tied to like being out in nature. So they they were they fucking like just right. as soon as they walked into it. level five of a like level five of a dungeon here you're like seventy feet underground it's like well good luck fucker <laughs> yeah like and it was it was like that like the way it was worded in the first version was like you walk into the fucking as soon as you walk into the door of a dungeon your guy is like fucking just gutted and you're like <laughs> well I yeah I hope we run into some goblins. Because that's the only bonus I got left. Right. So, so circling that back around to druid circles. See, right. oh, that was a, that was a better segue. Okay. Yeah, less of a jump cut. <laughs> I was looking at because I'd already I'd scroll back up to druid circles, and I was thinking about we liked that swarm keeper. We we're just talking about being underground. The circle of spores is the one that we really liked. That seems similar to like the you know the bug ranger. Is like the the fungus druid. They're both kind of like on the edge of uh, a kind of creepy or disgusting yeah, I, or something like you know. I kind of really like that though because I I, it's, I like it too. I really like it. These two classes are actually problem classes from my DM perspective. 
Uh, and I think that you would probably agree. Don't don't you think that these like maybe more so than others are more heavily troped? Like you get a lot of Aragorns as Ranger, and you get a lot of like you get a lot of Legolas Rangers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you get a lot of Aragorns or, or the Archer Ranger or the Strider. I would expect probably a lot of Jon Snows in today's like if I were just playing with a lot more people, I would expect a lot more Jon Snow esque Rangers that employ the use of the the, the animal more because like a lot of the 3.5 rangers are just like fuck that thing man that's <laughs> i'm just gonna get that killed real quick i just don't <laughs> even feel like like i bet like 3.5 players were savages man they're like i'm gonna throw that thing to the to, to, i'm gonna throw my wolf to the wolves first chance <laughs> i get and get out this circle of spores option it's an interesting option to me but i don't know it'll be interesting to see if it's going to be an interesting enough option to people to take over the circle of the moon you know where they can do their super cool shape-shifting thing which just seems like the the best druid yeah that appeals hard to like you know world of warcraft players like that that's like literally like that type of druid circle back around to the to the circle of spores one of the one of the one of the druid subclasses that we both really liked and we started we were comparing that to the ranger subclass that we like where he's the swarm master this is the spore master they both kind of are kind of on the edge of macabre you know you've got like the the spore master is all about fungus fine beauty and decay and also we were talking about how rangers felt kind of useless underground because a lot of their abilities were nature-based here you're five levels deep in a dungeon. There's going to be some mold. This isn't going to diminish the druid's ability, whether whether she's in a forest or a dungeon. But we got one more that we one more that we both really liked, or maybe we like both like both of these. So I'm going to skip over to uh, monk now. Um, I really liked the subclass for the monk. I liked the way of the astral self. Mm, yeah. It's similar to, you know, the monk tropes that you have, like the, you know, all this key, but this is all like, this is attaching to your like astral self or your almost like your soul. This seems like a, just like a deeply meditative monk class that just works. I like the, yeah. um, so the, the, like the Terrence McKenna monk, the Terrence know. monk in a, <laughs> I don't get that reference, but that sounds oh. funny. He's 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 like uh, he's like a he's like the godfather of psychedelics, basically. I thought it was like Timothy Leary. Both they're both up there. I'm pretty sure they went to college together. Actually, <laughs> they bunked together and they came up with the way of the astral self. It was lost lost to time until now. So arms of the astral self the third level ability here you spend one one key point to summon the arms of your astral self each creature your choice you can see within 10 feet of you succeeds must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or take force damage equal to two rolls of your martial arts die wapow like you reach out with your your key and it's almost like this uh way of the astral self monk almost feels like a like a jedi tapping into your astral self but it, it it's not it's not really jedi but i kind of right 
if you go through the way of the astral self and look at it, which it doesn't, you, know, you might not lose that. Isn't that like, like does a standard monk kind of get something like that? Like you might not even necessarily lose that. I don't think the standard monk gets the Jedi mind trick type stuff, but it's very like you get the uh, body of the astral self's deflect energy. When you take acid, cold fire, force, lightning or thunder damage, you can use your reaction to deflect it. When you do so damage you take is reduced by D10 plus your wisdom modifier. Mm. It must be something in a different and another supplement. But yeah, we we played with a monk at some point who was who who was very much basically Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, I think I thought we also. Oh, the other one we liked uh, was the. Yeah, let's get this. Is my favorite one, I think, is what you're going to talk about right now. The the Paladin. Um, yes, Oath of the Watchers is uh, is badass through and through. I love this. This is very, and this must be uh, my, this is very 40K uh, Warhammer 40,000 Inquisitor. Yeah, like there's no reason not to play Eisenhorn effectively in your D&D games now. Right. Paladins who follow the Watcher's Oath are ever vigilant in spotting the influence of extraplanar forces, ultimately establishing or often establishing a network of spies and informants to gather information on suspected cults. To a watcher, keeping a healthy suspicion and awareness about one's surroundings is as natural as wearing armor in battle. This is very much a 40K Inquisitor. You know, you've got a network of spies. You're trying to keep dibs on cult activity. They have a lot of spells that give them the power to deal with demons or other outsiders and extraplanar creatures. Yeah, these uh these guys are I mean, even though it's D and D most of the time that I've seen like Demon Hunter as a class presented, I'm like, nope. Nope. Yeah, but this is this I think this does it well. This feels canon, yeah. This is clean. This is good. This would be good in a game where you planned on featuring demons and devils or a lot of uh plane shifting, you know, get the Yankee, anything like that. I can see, you know, a church that's dedicated to this or an order where you could even worship multiple gods, but you join the order of the watcher. Yeah, I get very 40K with it very quickly. Like it, it turns into like a, a very like grimdark kind of very structured. Because like I got to imagine that like from the perspective of just about any uh, like Oath of the Watcher paladin, like the world is probably a pretty fucking horrific place, even in like relatively light worlds where like the map, you know, like in most places in the forgotten realms, most people are happy as you like, like they don't, you know, there's nothing ever going on. It's pretty standard unless like they're unfortunate enough to find themselves in a story arc. Um, you, you know, but like for the the place is so expansive that most places there at any given time you can assume are basically in a state of like whatever. In worlds like uh, low magic anyways, like the Eberrons and the Greyhawks that are like, you know, a little bit more um, reserved, I guess, than something like the Forgotten Realms. Uh, they fit in like like a fucking glove. We both really like it and we both kind of have a good idea of what kind of world or we can imagine how this guy would work in different worlds but it kind of 
it's kind of the other side of the artificer coin. We were talking about the artificer feeling very steampunky and just being like, oh, that's not really kind of the game that I wanted to run. I didn't really want to right. run a B type game. Like you could be like, I could read this and this, this just like, yeah, this is badass. I want to be this uh, order of the watcher paladin. Like DM's like, yeah, okay, cool. You can, you can be an order of the watcher paladin. And then the entire game is like, um, I don't know, you, you do ghosts of salt marsh where there's yeah, not right. a, a, nary a demon or nothing, nary an outsider. And you're just walking around, like just swinging your sword at the grass. This also gave me like this. This sent me down so many holes. Like the more I thought about this, like I thought about this one more than any of the other ones, where I was thinking like it would also be cool. I just like the idea of like the Watchers as like a as like a general faction in a in a campaign where they're um, you know maybe maybe instead of being so demon focused though they're like a bit more they're just anti magic. Like they're they're trying that you know what I mean. Like they're trying to Ooh, rid, yeah. they're trying to rid the world of like magic, and you've got these fuckers coming at you. It's an order. It's an order like druids. Like or I think of druids as like they're all kind of connected and know each other. You know, there's like a society of druids, right? Yeah, I I mean, you could easily like I think what I would do if I were if I were actually writing it as a homebrew is I would probably just write. Like I would just write it in my own world first and then kind of come up with some like fucking whatever rules for tailoring it to the other worlds. So I get the impression that we could obviously go on for a long time about this. Uh, I'm going to dovetail it into the next (laughs) section, which is group patrons, academy or guild or military force or religious order. All of those things are kind of what we're talking about here. We're talking about the oath of the watcher being an institution. Right. We get into chapter two of Tasha's cauldron of everything, and that's group patrons. So the, the broad categories they have are academy, ancient being, aristocrat, criminal syndicate, guild, military force, religious order, sovereign, or being your own patron. But it mm. kind of fleshes out everything from you have your thieves guild and criminal syndicate, you have your sovereign, which is going to be your you know your government academy could be an order of wizards or the like, the sages guild. You have guild, which could be you know the watchers guild, or it could be. But it goes into oh. how to flesh out these things and how to bring them into your game, which I think is good. It's, it's 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 worth noting though. Um, this is kind of if you're somebody who is who doesn't DM, like you're exclusively a player. This is kind of where the book's value falls off for you, like pretty pretty heavily. Um, everything from here kind of really tailors itself towards like DM usage or or uh, allowance, especially. It is more for the dungeon master, but it's more for the player's benefit, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, like if yeah. you if you flesh out these organizations as a as a dungeon master or a game master, it's going to be so that your characters can use them. It can also, I mean, I guess to to some extent, there's also like a value in just. I mean, there's value in any kind of like, you know, you're looking at a table of things. Um, that are that effectively you could use for 
any number of backstory ideas or whatever. Um, yeah. And whether or not they ever get like fully fleshed out is, is kind of irrelevant at that point if you're just using them to say where you're from. I think the Order of the Watcher would probably fall under religious order, possibly military force, depending on how you wanted to go with it. Possibly sovereign if you wanted to like lean heavily into. <laughs> but I like I like these because they give you they give you uh, entries for uh, if you have a contact in this organization, it gives you makes, options for what what type of contact you have. Uh, you know, or what they can do for you. They gives you uh, perks. Yeah. Like if you're a member of this organization or if you're allied with this organization, these are the kind of things you're entitled to. It gets to, um, I didn't really read this. I, I mean, it's a lot of stuff to unpack here. I, didn't, I haven't really looked a lot at the being your own patron, uh, but it's, it can't be, it can't be a much use because it's one page and half of the page is a picture of a guy falling on his ass. For his face, really, he's literally going ass over tea kettle here. Um, so moving on to the the magic stuff, I don't like a lot of new spells. I don't like having spells in a lot of different sources. This gives um, some new spells. Um, some of them are talked about specifically in you know different classes. Like there's a lot of artificer spells here. A lot of like some, but they're new, new spells. Oh yeah. We didn't even talk about that. We'll jump on that here in a little bit. Uh, But I'm looking here where there's like five cantrips, one first level spell, two second level spells, like five third level spells, three fourth, a fifth, six or two, six, seven, nine. I'm not going to yeah, lie. So they like, make this monk laser beaming this fucking swamp thing look amazing, though, dude. What the fuck is this? It doesn't even. <laughs> Just straight out of his fucking out of his like. Straight out of his brow. Like, what the fuck? I don't know what picture you want. What are you looking at? Like. Look at oh. page 108. What the fuck is this? It's like, yeah. <laughs> That's mind sliver, baby. You just got mind slivered. <laughs> you drive a disorienting spike of psychic energy into the mind of one creature. Boom. Out of your mind and into another's, <laughs> dude. What the fuck? Yeah, right? Right? Like, that just, it looks so ridiculous. If I ever had a player explain to me what they were doing and they were like, so I put my fingers together. And I do like a Charlie's Angels pose. And then I fucking. <laughs> a pink light comes directly from the center of my forehead. You know what makes it even more bad? Like, look at that picture uh, like that you're talking about here. It's a mind, this mind sliver picture. It does. It looks like like some monk. And he's got just like a fucking laser beam coming out of his eye. And it, it's like. <laughs> Just annihilating this. Uh, I don't even know what this is, but it's a big it fucking like, creature. I mean, it's I've just seen, like I've seen this exact panel from Cyclops and X Men. Like, right. The best thing about this, it's like this is literally coming out of his third eye and just, just uh, annihilating this creature. It looks like this is a cantrip. It's a cantrip, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> this does. Uh, <laughs> It takes D4 psychic damage. 
again and it subtracts is, subtracts d4 from the next saving throw it makes but it also like like all like the all, creature away and like this thing looks horrifying what the fuck but, level do you think you run into this that like but like all cantrips it does increase at so maybe this is a 17th level monk uh dishing out 46 instead of just the the 1d6 you know but still yeah it looks it definitely looks like it's... Well, then it looks really stupid. Could you imagine how dumb this looks if it's the fucking... When it's the 1D... What, the 1D4 version? Or the 1D6 the 1D6, version? yeah. It's, it's just... I mean, it just looks like... I think it's almost Ping. like a bad picture. Like, you know, you take like a bad picture where your mouth's open weird. It looks like it looks like the creature's reeling from this. But really, if you really look at it, it looks kind of like a glancing blow because you can see it coming off to the side. And actually, <laughs> actually, the creature is hauling off with a haymaker and about to just just slaughter this guy. It's, Throw it's this just, guy against that wall there. It's and... just a bad. It's just a. It's just a bad <laughs> snapshot. Shot make, yeah, it's it's, yeah. Really, it's misleading. <laughs> he's really he's he's coming back from way down south. Because uh, well, that, that thing looks like a that thing is horrific looking i mean it looks like you know it's a fucking demon and, yeah and like <laughs> don't worry guys i got this i'll stand within arm's length and shoot it from my forehead with pink light yeah but it's just <laughs> barely glancing across there like you can see it clearly arcing past the past them you know just wait till you get the mind slice <laughs> Yeah, is that one? That's not even one. <laughs> they had about they had about twenty spells, maybe. I thought a lot of these. Yeah, I th- I, yeah, maybe. I thought a lot of them ended up looking like or that were like psionic. Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking of like the the stuff deeper into the classes, and that like a lot of these get the what psionic stuff is here. So wrapping it up was a session or um, a section that wrapping the book up was a section. Chapter four here is Dungeon Master's Tools. And the first bit, the session zero, is really good to formalize that as a thing where everybody sits down, possibly makes your characters, talks about expectations. I like that they mention here, uh, they talk about the social contract, hard and soft limits. Excuse me. It's a good thing to canonize and put in the book. Right. Yeah. So you were talking about sidekicks. You you weren't talking about sidekicks. I just wanted to move on to sidekicks. <laughs> uh, so sidekicks. We both talked beforehand before we started recording about how we both kind of liked the uh, sidekicks as a um, a way to have an NPC that maybe you didn't plan on being a like a, a part of the party or a regular NPC sort of become a regular NPC or even an adventuring NPC. You know, players are. They just adopt some shit that you expected to be like a one-off character. You pick essentially warrior. It even explicitly says a, a sidekick can be any type of creature with a stat yeah. block. Yeah, warrior, expert, or uh, spellcaster. Those are your three generics. These, uh, the warrior in particular, is the one that I use for the wolf, but it's the one that I read a lot, and it is the warrior class out of the third edition dungeon master's guide there there were npc classes in there so this is kind of pulling some stuff 
it's not a hundred percent original. This is, you know, it's kind of pulling some stuff, some good ideas. You mean to tell me D and D was done before? <laughs> yeah, this is not the first edition of Dungeons. This what actually the, the this is actually the fifth iteration of Dungeons and Dragons, and actually not even that. I think there are a couple other iterations there. I mean, this doesn't well, yeah, because like there's D and D, and then like like there's there's like advanced D and D, which doesn't even. Yeah, we got AD and D, AD and D second edition, then third edition, fourth edition, fifth fifth edition. That doesn't even cover basic. That doesn't even cover red box, blue right, box, yeah. uh, teal box, black box. <laughs> doesn't deal with any of that. But no, the, so the side the sidekicks are. It's a really good way to like level up a creature. There's three very generic. Scribe, yeah, any, any, like, yeah, any, anything to that effect. I immediately implemented this as soon as I read Sidekicks. I went in and I uh, created a character sheet for Finley the Wolf. That's the wolf's name's Finley. There's even a wolf op, like a nice wolf picture here. Uh, yeah, on the on the warrior page. Yeah, it does. I thought, oh well, that's cool. You know, so I took the wolf stat block out of the monster manual, and then I made it a third level warrior, which gave me. Uh, a few more hit points and let me add uh, it gets bonus proficiencies, martial roll gains plus two bonus to all attack rolls. That was nice. And then at second level, he gets second wind. So he can use that feature twice between rests starting at 20th level, but once between. So he gives him basically the, the fighter ability to regain hit points. So it lets this standard wolf hang in a little bit longer. The last thing that we want to talk about out of the book. There's a couple other things. There's, you know, parlaying with monsters, environmental hazards. You know, check those out. The last, the one thing that seemed like a good idea but didn't quite fit in this book, we both kind of agreed, was puzzles. It's, I like, like, puzzles are good to have in a Dungeons & Dragons game. But then the last little bit of the book goes through several actual puzzles, which is good, but it it just doesn't seem to fit with the rest of what's offered here. Like, don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's fine content. And I, I got to imagine that a lot of the times with like these kinds of books, they kind of have just a lot of like mishmash of content that they're going to like, that they've been working on separately that they eventually compile. Right. Like that's what I would imagine. I don't think that they like necessarily target these things out because they know that they've got a Tasha's release coming up or whatever. Right. Again, it's good stuff. I mean, I read through a lot of these, and it's cool. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah, but it, but it seems like it's its own thing. It doesn't seem like it fits with the you know which one of these things is not like the others. Yeah, some of the I think like a the magical phenomenon though it, it gets cool again. Um, like a lot a lot of what's here is really interesting, and I mean a lot of it's kind of you know your mileage is is definitely going to vary with the book. Like some people, you know. A lot of the stuff that we see where we're like, ah, I'm not really not really pulled or inspired by by that. I could see, I mean, because of the nature of D&D, a lot of people could see it and and really take a fucking, you know, a, a giant leap with a lot of the things that are offered here. Absolutely. There's a lot of good stuff here. Even like the even the puzzle stuff. I mean, I might read through this and use some of these in a game. I just wish it was in its own like DM's bag of tricks because the other problem with this is that um as we said before, 60, 70% of this book is for players. So all your players are going to have this book. Right. But they all have it. And like, there's a good chance they, they would have read it before you even said that. Like, 
yeah, I want this to be in a supplement that players have no interest in, you know, like this would be like in a DM only. And yeah, sure, if you're an asshole player that wants to buy the DM bag of tricks book and read it so you know everything that's going to get thrown at you, then, you know, just fuck you. I don't want to play games with you anyway. All right, Caleb, so where can you find us at? I'm glad you asked. So the primary place where you could listen to us at is topofthetable.podbean.com, but we're also on Apple and Google Podcasts. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Top of the Table. Uh, same with Instagram. We're also on Twitch now. We'll be doing uh, some paint streams. That's just twitch.tv slash Top of the Table. On Facebook, we are Top of the Table Podcast. And of course, if you want to reach out and email us, you can. And that's uh, Top of the Table Podcast at gmail.com. So, really, any of those are either an appropriate way to reach out to or listen to us. Excellent. I brought you back just for this. There is a movie called Crawl, spelled K-R-U-L-L. So we're going to talk about Crawl World. 